Who was Hosea's wife? What's her name? Gomer. Gomer. And she became what? What did she become? A prostitute. But there's so much more to learn from Hosea than that, even though that's a big part of the message from Hosea. The background of Hosea is very similar to the background of Amos. We're looking at um, the time just before the northern kingdom of Israel will go into Assyrian captivity, and then several years later, the southern kingdom of Judah will go into Babylonian captivity. Hosea, his ministry involves both those time periods, probably has about a 30 40 year ministry. Notice as you open up Hosea and look at chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Berah, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, these are kings of Judah, but also in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So Hosea's work involved both those kingdoms, and God sent him here and there. We get a good idea from reading through Hosea that he did a good part of his work uh, up in Samaria and that area, warning the people of the northern kingdom. These prophets have a pattern. They will tell the people uh, what's coming from God if they don't repent. They will tell them why God is upset and going to punish them. And then they will insert uh, bright hopes for the future. There are several of these bright hopes for the future in Hosea. And so let's... Let's get started and, and get into some of these very vital, uh, vital teachings, vital points, vital lessons from uh, Hosea. Okay. It's not, this is not a verse by verse. This is, these classes are meant to give us an idea of what's there so that we'll go back and study further uh, on our own. But I want us to notice, first of all, that God considered the northern kingdom of Israel, no longer his people. This is a harsh ideal to consider. Well, look in your Bible, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Now, in chapter 1, God is going to tell Hosea to take Gomer as his wife, and Hosea and Gomer are going to have children. The names of these children become very important. Uh, Jezreel is the name of the first one. That is to remind the people of judgment to come. Okay. So you get down here into chapter 1 and verse 8. When Gomer had weaned the second child, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, the Lord said, call his name Loami, which means not my people. Not my people. So the third child, the son here, is called Lo-Amy, which means not my people. For you are not my people. You see that in verse 9? You are not my people and I am not your God. 
And how would you like God to look to you and say that? You are not my child anymore. Now go back with me to Deuteronomy 7. That will help us to see this. Deuteronomy 7. God says to them, to his people, you are my chosen people. Okay. In Deuteronomy 7, especially verse 6, he says, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Notice that. So God said that to them initially. But now look. Look where they have gone. Because of their sins, because of their ignoring of his law and will, he's looking at them saying, you are not my people. Yes, it's true that we can be disowned uh, by God. We can be disowned. Let's compare this in the New Testament. Turn with me to John chapter 8 for a second. John 8, Jesus discussing religious ideals with the Jewish leaders of his day. John 8.33, John 8.33, they answered Jesus and said, We are the children, the sons of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say uh, that we can become free? Okay. But look what Jesus says to them in John 8.44. See this? John 8.44. He said, Actually, you are of your father the who? The devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He is a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of liars. So yes, even today, we are thankful and blessed to be children of God. When we're baptized into Christ, that makes us a child of God, according to Galatians 3, 26 and 27. But if we so live to disregard our Lord's will, then he can and will disown us. So first of all, we see from Hosea that they, the northern kingdom of Israel, no longer uh, his people. Now stay right there in Hosea chapter 1. And let's see another idea or two. Notice this idea as well. There's going to be a future people. Okay. So here's one of those bright spots. It's one of those bright spots. Look in the Hosea. Chapter 1, same area we were just in. Verse 10. He says, yet, after he just says, you're not my people, and I'm not your God, Verse 10, he says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said, one day, it shall be said, Children of the living God. Now that's, a, that's what we call a messianic, that's a, that's a Jesus time statement. Okay. This will be fulfilled in Jesus time. Notice in Romans 9 that Paul makes reference to Hosea. So this is how you discover uh, what's being prophesied and the fulfillment thereof. You find it in the New Testament. Looking down to Romans 9, 
Romans 9, 24, the inspired Apostle Paul, he will include these various statements from Hosea as he discusses both the Jews and Gentiles having the availability of obeying the gospel and being added to the kingdom of God. So, Romans 9, 24, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, Romans 9, 24, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. Now notice verse 26. And in the very place, in the very place where it was said, you are not my people, there they will be called the sons of the living God. So there's Hosea 1.10 being almost ver- verbatim quoted by Paul in Romans 9.26. And when is this being fulfilled? In Jesus' day, in the, in the age of the gospel, as Paul is preaching, it, it became needful for him to connect this prophecy uh, for those who were hesitant to receive the Gentiles or hesitant to, to uh, think of the Gentiles being um, God's treasured people in that day. Okay. So first, uh, they were no longer his people, but there was a bright spot coming. They would one day be his people. Uh, before we leave that idea, look over to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter uh, 2. Verses 9 and 10, 9 and 10, where he talks about, Peter talks about the people of God are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once, 1 Peter 2, verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now... You have received mercy. Okay. So one of Jose and Gomer's uh, children was named Jezreel, which would remind everybody that that's where battles take place and remind people that God's bringing judgment. Okay. One of their children was named, meant, not my people. The middle child's name meant no more mercy. No more mercy. Okay. God had had it with the northern kingdom of Israel. Judgment was coming. So you name this child, no more mercy. Okay. And yet there's a day coming, the Jesus day, when God would extend his mercy through the Lord Jesus. Okay. So notice that in chapter 1. Stay right there in chapter 1 for this idea, and that is that this new people who would come in Jesus' age would be under one head, under one head. So notice this in Hosea 1, uh, 11. Hosea 1, 11. All right. He says in Hosea 1, 11, And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. 
So again, we know what Paul says about the Lord Jesus in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. What does it say about Jesus in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23? For he is the head of what? He's head of the church, which is his body. The fullness of him that fills all in all. Okay. Peter makes reference several times in his, both his preaching and writings that, that this stone that you're rejecting, rejecting has become the head of the corner. He's become the cornerstone. Okay. So there was coming a day when all the Jews, the people of, former people of Israel, former people of Judah, and Gentiles, would be gathered by God through faith in Jesus under the one head who is uh, Jesus. Interestingly, uh, Jesus says in John 10, 16, that there shall be one shepherd who would have one flock. There's one Lord. There's one faith. Paul says in Ephesians 4 and verse 5. So notice here these bright spots found in Hosea, even though there's judgment coming uh, in the present day there. Next idea is um, chapter 3, Hosea, is where God says, I want you to go get your wife back. In chapter 1, he says, the wife you're going to marry, Gomer, is going to go off into adultery, and not really just adultery, but um, prostitution. Okay, So she's gone. By the time This chapter 3 command is given here in Hosea uh, chapter 3. She's gone. Notice what uh, is said to Hosea chapter 3 verse 1. The Lord said to me, Go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love uh, cakes of raisins. So he says, I want you to go get your wife back. I want you to love her. Hosea still loved his wife even though she was off doing all these treacherous things against the Lord and against him. He still loved his wife. But this is meant, okay, this is meant to illustrate God's love for his children. In a sense, when we become a child of God in old days with them, with us today, in a sense, we are married to God. We are married to God. Um, You know, uh, but when we leave the Lord's will, then that makes, an adult, makes us an adulteress, like James 4 and verse 4 uh, says. He says, you adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Okay. And so, in a sense, we're married to God. That's the way it was in Hosea's day. Go get her back. Go get her back. Okay. And as you read here in chapter 3, he does find her. He does find her. She's at an auction block, evidently, because he has to buy her. Okay. So she has gone through these treacherous life of horatry and prostitution. Now she's, she's owned by somebody, and she, they're there at this auction. They're going to sell her, and he buys her. He buys her so he can get her uh, back. Acts 20, verse 28 says, the Lord's blood purchased us. Okay, and that's not a bad ideal to associate uh, with this ideal in Hosea uh, 3. Okay. Now think about the love of God here 
as Hosea would go and he would have to search for his, for his wife who's out there in the world. He would have to search and search and ask and ask and finally see where she's at and then be willing to, to redeem her, to buy her. So the Lord has that kind of endearing love for us. He had his endearing love for Israel and for Judah. He has that endearing love for us. Even when we go astray, his love doesn't stop for us. As he wants them, wanted them back, so he wants us back. And also anyone that we know of, anyone who has strayed away, his love has not stopped for them. And he wants us to take up that banner of love and, and express it to those who have wandered away as well. Okay. So this is the ideal here in Hosea uh, 3. He's getting his wife back, which is uh, supposed to be kind of a teaching tool to show God's love for wandering uh, Israel. God has some interesting object lessons, doesn't he? I mean, think about all that he used to try to teach people about the true God with the ten plagues against Egypt. Okay. And then his prophets and his teachers had uh, interesting um, ways of expressing the truth. I'm always reminded of Jeremiah 13 when God said, Jeremiah, go buy you a new, a new loincloth. And so he did. He says, okay, I got it. And then he said, I want you to go to the Euphrates. I want you to hide this under a cleft of a rock and leave it there until I tell you to go get it. So that's what Jeremiah does. Brand new loincloth, puts it underneath that cleft of a rock. God says, go back and get it now after some time. He goes back and it's spoiled. It's impossible to use. It's all marred. God said, so I will spoil and mar the pride of Judah. Okay. So God always is using different teaching tools and different teaching objects. And here he uses, of all things, the unfaithfulness of a man's wife to express his love uh, toward the northern kingdom of Israel. Now notice the bright spot here in Hosea 3, uh, verse, well, we'll pick up in verse 4. Hosea 3 and verse 4. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household uh, gods, but afterward, okay, verse 5, afterward, later on, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. That latter days, those last days, always indicates the day of Jesus Christ. Okay. How is it that David is associated with Jesus Christ? Yeah, he came through the lineage of David. And you know, Luke 1, 32 and 33, when, when Gabriel was talking to Mary about all that's going to happen, this son of yours is going to be great, he shall be called the Son of the Most High, and he shall reign on the throne of his father David. That's where, that's where Jesus is right now. He's on the right hand of God. He is reigning over his church, his kingdom right now. He's on the throne of David. And so look at this bright spot here from Hosea 3 and verse 5. And so it's interesting to me, these connections. I get excited about these connections, and... I believe you ought to, too, because you want to see how the Bible predicts and then how it fulfills its own predictions. And this, this shows us the hand of God. All right. 
but I'll... Your king is served. Jesus king, but he's also serving us. Up in heaven, pleading for us as an intercessor and as our lawyer. So he's not setting up or just sitting down. He's working for us. Yeah, the king. working for him. Yeah, the king is working in our behalf as because he's not just king. Okay, he's high priest, he's a prophet, and so forth. Good. Okay. So notice that bright spot here. And then let's go to the next one here in chapter 4. How God has a controversy with his people. Okay. And even though many in the religious world will say that you're not supposed to be controversial, well, God is controversial. He has a huge controversy with his people. And this is where he begins to. To show here, here is why. Here is where you went off track. Here is one of the reasons why uh, you're being sent into captivity. Okay, so let's read this together, uh, chapter four, one through six. Anybody like to read that for us, real loud? Uh, chapter four. We're in Hosea four, one through six, and notice God's controversy with His people, which is one of the primary reasons why they're going into captivity. Who'd like to read? Okay, Mark, go ahead. Real loud. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land because there is no truth, no, no mercy, no knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood touches blood. Therefore shall the land mourn and everyone that dwells within therein shall languish and God's controversy with the people is how ignorant they have become of God's law. It's the lack of knowledge. That's the controversy he has with them. He still has that controversy with us uh, today. Notice what knowledge does there in chapter 4. Knowledge leads to truth and goodness and steadfast love, whatever your translation says there in, in the first couple of verses. Okay. That's, what, that's where knowledge leads but ignorance leads to these other bad things that you read here in uh, verse 2. Swearing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery, breaking all kinds of bounds, and having bloodshed that follows bloodshed. There is just a downward slope when we drift away from God's word, God's, God's knowledge. And what do you think about today? Do you think that God has a controversy with his people today? And is that controversy as strong as it was in Hosea's day? What do you think about that? Is knowledge of God today as, as important as it was in Hosea's day? Yes. Yeah. Knowledge and obedience. Yeah. A proper knowledge leads to obedience. That's what Hosea is saying. Now, 
True or false? Christianity is a religion that is taught. True or false? True. It's what Jesus says in John 6, 44 and 45. He quotes from Isaiah and says, They shall all be taught of God. Whoever learns, hears from the Father and learns of me, that's the one the Father draws to him. Okay. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, The things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also, without doubt. Now, knowledge. Knowledge. Where does a lack of knowledge lead today? Where has it led today? Okay. Chaos. Chaos. That's right. No guidelines. No do your own thing. No guidelines for worship. No, no guidelines for, for family life. No guidelines for your religious life. No, no guidelines for drawing close to God and how to get close to God, how to be forgiven of God. No guidelines for uh, how to structure the church, how to, how to organize uh, the church. Just absolute chaos. Everybody doing their own thing. That's where a lack of knowledge leads. Do you think God is, is, uh, is in a godly way angry at religious people who ignore his will? Yes. This is definitely a lesson from, from Hosea. It definitely is. But we got to be on guard to make sure that we don't have a lack of knowledge. We've got to make sure that our Bible teachers and our Bible classes know what they're talking about. We've got to make sure that a Bible class is more than just a sharing of a few ideas, a couple of good stories, and a verse inserted here and there. Okay. Now, I'll confess to you, it's not, it's not easy deciding what you want to do on Wednesday night. Okay. But we can't ignore the minor prophets. Okay. And I don't know what your attitude is, is when you come in here and you see Hosea on the screen. And you say, do you roll your eyes and say, oh no, this is going to be boring? Okay. You take that up with God. Because the Lord wants us to be enmeshed in Scripture. Okay. And these lessons are vital for us. He wants us to see what he prophesied and what he, how he dealt with people in the old times so that we won't fall into the same traps they fell into. God has a controversy. He's not happy with his people when there's a lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed, Hosea 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And we must communicate that we can't rely on the church and Bible classes for knowledge of God. Those, that's not where knowledge happens. It is not where knowledge happens. Okay. The church and Bible class can be a help but if we're just relying on that alone and expecting that alone to fill our hearts with, with the knowledge of God's will, it just simply won't happen. Okay? There's, God's word is too full of treasures of truth to just try to pick up from a sermon here and there and a Bible class here and there the fullness of what God has to say to us. Okay. So it seems to me from this statement, and you're welcome to, to disagree uh, but it seems to me that there needs to be a resurgence. There needs to be a rekindling 
of not just interest, okay, but passion for knowledge of the Bible. Okay. And if I thought that it was there, that it was passionately being observed by everyone sitting here, then I'd probably just skip over this. But I know it's not. Okay. So we've got, we've got to rekindle our passion for knowledge of God. And it starts at home, personally. Okay. There's nothing, there's no substitute for, for reading and rereading, reading and rereading. But you can't be on YouTube the whole time. Okay. You can't be chasing social media. It, you know, we just we just got to we got to we got to encourage, um, especially our children. We got to encourage them um, in this regard. All right. So you had your chance to talk about that, and we're moving on. Controversy with his people, chapter four, and then um, another reason that they were being chastised. If you look at chapter six and verse four. He says, you've got some goodness every once in a while. We'll see us 6 verse 4. You've got some goodness every once in a while, but it's just like the morning dew. How long does the morning dew last? Yeah. How long does a morning cloud last? You know, we've basically grown up at, at Falcon Falls uh, Bible Camp. And, and up there on that mountain, a lot of times you wake up and you see a lot of gray clouds. Okay. Mainly because it's a mountain. And you think, oh no, we're going to have a rainy day. But then after a while, it's getting, those gray clouds are gone. For a lot of folks, they have no staying power with God. They say, oh yeah, I need to stop. You know, I just heard that. My people destroyed for a lack of knowledge. I need to stop. I do need to get godly here. I need to get fired up here. But then they have no staying power. It just, it just, it just goes away. Okay. It's one of the condemnations Jesus had, Revelation 3, verse 2, of the church at Sardis. He says, you start good works, but you don't finish them. Okay. You start studying, but you don't finish. You start with your prayer life, you don't finish. You start serving others, you don't finish. Okay. You have good thoughts about it, but there's no completion uh, in, your, in your life. So that's another reason why they were headed uh, toward captivity. Here's another reason. Chapter 6 and verse 6, what, you, what is simply called ritualism. What do I mean when I say ritual with ritual? Ism. I can't say it, but I can write it out. It don't mean anything. It's going through the motions. Yeah, basically. If you look at Hosea uh, 6, verse 6, you see him talking in these very terms. He says to them, I desire, I desire steadfast love, mercy, and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Now, God had commanded the sacrifices and burnt offerings, but they had turned it into more of a ritual, more of a form. As Mike said, more of going through the motion. No heart in that. Okay. As Paul, Paul mentions in 2 Timothy 3, 5 through 7, having a form of godliness but denying the power. They had no power because they had no knowledge. They had no true uh, commitment down deep. And that's what, that's what God is complaining about here. Okay. And so, ritualism, okay, an outward form. Same condemnation would come to us today, does come to us today. We're just passing through life with the motions. We're showing up. You know, they were doing some things right, at least things that look right. Okay. 
But those things will become totally vain because God knows their heart and they don't have the love for people that um, he has. Okay. Matthew 7, 21 and 22. But the direct reference made back to Hosea is Matthew 9. You'll want to, you'll want to see this. When Jesus was in the home of, um, of Matthew, of Levi, and they complained that he was going to eat with uh, publicans and sinners. You remember that. He said, those that are whole do not need a physician, but those who are sick. Remember that. But notice Matthew 9 and 13, if I'm not mistaken, he's going to quote from Hosea. Yep. From Hosea 6 and verse 6. He says, "You you go learn what this means. I'll have mercy and not sacrifice. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Those who were complaining about him eating with sinners and publicans. Okay, you tell me. What, how does this fit together? They're complaining that Jesus is eating with publicans and sinners. Jesus quotes Hosea 6, verse 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What is the Lord doing with this verse? What's he saying? What's, what's he saying to these complainers? Saying the same thing, like what? That was going on in Hosea's day. This is being repeated in the book of Matthew, in modern Jerusalem, in Jesus' time. All right. Okay, Mark. Anybody else? Those complaining in Jesus' day. We're very concerned about how things look. How does it look for you? How does it look for you to be associating with those tax collectors and other sinners? How does that look? You're supposed to be a teacher from God. How does that look? And Jesus said, look, you learn what this means. I desire mercy. Mercy toward who? Mercy toward the publicans and sinners. I desire mercy. You're missing the mark. You may be bringing your sacrifices. You may be standing and praying. You may be showing up at worship. But if you're not having mercy on those who are estranged from Christ, then God has nothing to do with you. So that's it. And then next year, in chapter 7 now, Hosea, verse 8, he calls them a cake half baked or a cake not turned okay half baked okay and what they're doing is it's because they have a lack of trust in God they're going off to their neighbors neighboring nations who are very very deep in idolatry and they're going to them for advice let's go over here and see what they're doing how do they handle their problems you know and I just I mean this is very unpleasant to God. This is very disturbing to God. This is this. Do you not realize you are the you are the people of God? God is God is the ultimate counselor. He He is the one who can who can bring solutions to everything. 
and you're going off here to neighboring nations. He said, this has, this has made you very, very weak, just like a cake that's never turned. It's, it may be baked on one side, but the other side is very soft and, and gooey and juicy. Okay. The very inside of you, the very, your very character has turned out to be very weak. And that's why that you're being sent into captivity. And then also here in chapter 8, verse 7. So it's chapter 7, verse 8, for the cake half baked. And then chapter 8, verse 7, there's a lesson about sowing and reaping. What does it say there in chapter 8, verse 7, about sowing and reaping? So Israel has sowed the wind. What does that mean? What do you think? Tim, what do you think, Paul? What, is, what does that mean? What's he saying when he says that Israel has sowed to the wind? To the wind. They haven't sowed anything. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, have you ever tried to, like Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 1, this is a striving after the wind. Can, can you grab, can you handle it? Can you grab hold of a wind? They're going after idols of other nations. Okay. Where has that brought them? Okay. They have spent their entire life, their entire lives in complete wastefulness. They have sowed to the wind and now they're going to reap what? A storm, a storm is coming. In the picture of impending destruction, and God's going to use the Assyrian nation now, you have sown to the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. The same thing can happen today. If we go after, we go after things of, of no value, then, then the same thing can happen to us. Okay. We can go to the world for solutions for the family. Many Christians do that. You shake your head thinking, what? Why? What's happening here? You've got the word of God and you're going to the world for solutions in your, in your family, solutions in your character, so, solutions in, in, in difficulties you make. Going to the world. That's what they were doing. They were going to their neighboring nations and saying, help us, help us. We've got these problems and things are not turning out. Well, they're sowing to the wind. and They're going to reap the whirlwind. Chapter 11, verse 1, God said, I called you out of Egypt. This is another trait of God in these prophets. He would remind them of how good that uh, he had been to them. Don't you remember? Don't you know your history? Don't you know that I brought you out of Egypt? And I have sustained you all along the way, even at times when, when you would, res would resist my will. And yet I have, I have brought you out of Egypt. I brought you uh, to this land that you now are perverting with, with your sins. But I'm the one that brought you here. Don't you remember all those glorious uh, stories? Hosea, Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1. Out of Egypt have I called my son. When Israel was a child, 
I loved him. I loved him. Now, where is this verse used in the New Testament? All right, Keith, explain. Matthew 2, verse 15 is correct. What's happening there? Okay. So why are Mary and Joseph taking Jesus to Egypt? That's right. Because of the tremendous threat of Herod. Okay. Matthew takes Hosea... 11 verse 1 and applies it to the situation there with the young Jesus and Mary and Joseph. Okay. Now you say, well, how, how can God do that? Well, piece of cake because God is all-knowing. Okay. He went back to the past for Israel and Hosea and said, I want to remind you of something about Egypt. I brought you out of Egypt. But also at the same time, God can be looking to the future and, exa- and know exactly what would happen with the young Jesus, which he did know. He knew that Herod would go after the young Jesus. And so he knew Mary and Joseph would take him into Egypt uh, for a while. The omniscient God, the all-knowing God, can know the past, present, and future uh, in a very powerful and exact uh, way. So these ten lessons from Hosea. And as you can see, he has many messages even for our day and our hearts uh, today. I encourage you to keep reading. There's 14 chapters here. There's several more references to the day of the Messiah, the New Testament time. And so um, we can dig those out. Thank you for being in class and hope you have a good rest of the evening.